Well, a couple of weeks back, we started really addressing the issue of anxiety, and we actually called it anxiety cure, or how to get past a life of worry and ulcers and so forth. And we looked at verse 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's the final time Paul says it in this book, but he says it many, many times. And, um, and having a cheerful spirit. And then last week, we looked at verse 6 and 7. That ties right into 8 and 9, so let's read it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's an earnest, beseeching God. With, this is important, icing's always important on the cake, right? Uh, the icing is thanksgiving. So it's not a, a heart of, of doubt, but a heart of faith that believes that when we pray, he hears us and he gives us exactly what is best for us. And let your requests be made known to God. So prayer and earnestness in our prayer, but a thanksgiving also. And notice verse 7, the peace of God, not the peace of this world, but the peace of God that's not contingent upon the circumstances of this world. It's all in the word and the promises and the nature and the faithfulness and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. We can have peace, which surpasses all understanding. The mind explodes. There's a peace that does not make sense why you would have peace in the midst of your storm, but yet in the midst of the storm, I have equal peace as if I were not in the storm. And this peace that passes understanding has a guard. This is the word exactly what you would expect to be, a, a secret service agent standing by to guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So in the, in the people of this time thinking, when they said hearts, they really meant guts, you know? You know, when you get worried in the gut and you're like, oh, I can't eat and oh, that hurts and oh, I got an ulcer. The peace of God's going to go right to the depth of your soul, right to your guts and also the mind. Boy, we can go, our minds can just run away with this, can't they? And take us to a very dark place. Well, we just saw that prayer can bring us to a peace with God but now we're going to discover something that's even greater than that in verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren. Now, Paul has said finally a few times in this letter. Because uh, <laughs> it can also mean, now this is important what I'm getting ready to share with you. But this time when he says finally, he really means it. This is the letter wrapping up. And he's talking again to the brethren, the Christians. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, which is to think or to dwell upon these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. The word there, to practice. And notice now, the God of peace will be with you. So we saw in verse 7, it says the peace of God will surpass your mind and guard your hearts and your minds. But now he turns it around in verse 9, and he doesn't say the peace of God. He said now the God of peace. I love this. 
The peace of God comes through praying about everything, worrying about nothing. But then to have the God of peace as we meditate in all the correct things and the right examples of doing. So we're going to learn today what we're to think about and what we are to practice. And the effects will be not to be anxious, but stay in a place where the peace of God and the God of peace are overcoming the worries of this world. I think of that Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart, protect your own heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Our heart is like a well of springing water. And he's saying, be careful to not let your mind and your heart and your life run after things that are not lovely, not pure, that are not true. And uh, protect it because your heart is an important thing that God's given you. Not physically, that's true also, but more of the spiritual well-being. Well, going back to verse 8, so finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we find in this list, I, I love David Guzik's quote, it says, these, Paul would say, are the fruit and the food of the mind that is to guarded by the peace of God. When we put things, good things into our mind, they stay in our mind and then comes forth from us. So these good thoughts become a part of us and then they work themselves out from us in our actions, in our doing. First of all, we have six whatevers. Now, the whatever is saying this, not only am I giving you these items, but items like this. So Paul's not trying to give us an exhaustive list. Okay, there's six things, that's it, I got those good things. No, he's saying things in this category. Each of these are categories. These are the types of things that a believer who wants to be free from worry, free from stress, free from being entangled and bound by their own emotions, and by their own mind, this is where you need to force your mind to be a part of. These are the kind of things you need to allow in the eye gate and the ear gate. First of all, what's true? Literally, this means loving the truth. First of all, be, just be a lover of the truth and meditate on the truth. Now, as believers, we have a serious uh, head start in this area, don't we? Because of the word of God. The world, I, I just, man, where do they run? We see so many today making politics their new religion. This is their truce. They tune into their radio guy or their TV person or, and, and there's just a zillion of them out there all making millions of dollars off of you. Because that's how I get fed. I get fed with my political religion, my activism in politics. We've got to be careful because, guys, all those, those politic, political truths are important, and we do need to fight for the rights of our country and our freedom. I'm 100% on board with that. Um, go, uh, go Trump, right? I, I don't know. I mean, 
I don't want to get tarred and feathered here. Uh, but it, it's not the truth of God that will give you the peace of God. Often those truths cause us great consternation. But God's word is true. It's pure. It's 100%, 100% for the soul's healing. In John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Wow. Isn't that great? Truth is just not true. It's something that goes into the mind and into the heart and it gives us freedom. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and what? The truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In John 17, 17, sanctify them by your word. I mean, set them apart to be not like the world, but to be like us, to walk in, in godliness. Sanctify them in the truth. Why? Your word is the truth. That's it. He doesn't add two or three things on there. It's just the one thing, the word of God. Oh, read, read your homework today is read Psalms 19, what the word of God does. I, I had it on my notes here. I took it off because I'm trying to go a little shorter. But uh, here I am. I could have already read it by this. No, no, okay. <laughs> Number two, not only truth, but what's noble or honorable a venerated character. We think of men of stature like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington in our country, right? And of course, we think of Joseph or Daniel or guys like that. Noble men. They inspire reverence and awe towards God. You know, when you when you look at them, they're, they're men of renown. Boy, Daniel was that guy, wasn't he? Even as a young teenager, he was that guy. We read in Daniel 1 where here's the emperor of the world, of the Babylonian empire, demanding that he eat meat to be strong and get the strength that comes from meat. And, but yet in that kingdom, all their meat had first been sacrificed to their gods. And Daniel said, I, I, why I'm here in Babylon, I'll never eat meat. I'll be a vegetarian because I am not going to bend in my character. Boy, they were threatened. Could have cost them their lives. But God honored that character and gave them a wisdom and a strength and even spiritual gifts to cause them to raise up in that kingdom as they honored God. I, I love 2 Corinthians 8.21. It says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Third thing here is what's just or righteous. The right thing, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his, his righteousness. Doing it the way he would do it if he were living in you. Oh, hold it. He is living in me. Okay, think the way Jesus thought act the way Jesus act. It's the idea of innocence, faultlessness, guiltlessness, the God's way of doing things. I, Solomon in all his wisdom nails it in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here it is. Lean not on your own understanding. 
Sometimes in our foolishness, we can think we're smarter than everybody, right? Even, even God. You remember those teenage years? Oh, Mom and Dad, they don't know a thing. Only me and my 14-year-old friends really have wisdom. Remember how crazy that was? And then, and then the kids get to be like 21 or 22 going, wow, you've really grown a lot in these last few years, years Dad. And uh, Mom, you're, you're a lot smarter than you used to be. Yeah. Uh. But we've been there, and we can be there again, even as a 50, 60, 70-year-old teenager being foolish. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, his character, his truth, his heart and mind of things. And he will direct your paths. Wow. Do not be wise in your own eyes. He's going to tell us later that a, a person who's wise in their own eyes, we call them fools. Yes, fools. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord or have a great honor, reverence for the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I wonder if the health he's talking about is not the worry and the stress and the strain of believing what's not true and not following Jesus' example. I, I can tell you that when I don't fall, when I don't follow the Lord and I sin, I am immediately in bondage um, and, and, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the strength of God, sort of like Samson, it departs and uh, I quickly repent because I can't live in my own strength. It's, I feel the pain in my flesh and the pain in my bones. And then he says, what's pure? This is talking about carnality, sexuality, um, pure in, in our minds, in our lives, that we're not carnal, impure people. I think of uh, probably the best example in the Bible is Joseph. Here's this young man who's gone from teenage years, probably into his 20s, maybe his 30s, still a virgin. And Potiphar, who's one of the richest men in Egypt, leaves out of town and his beautiful wife. I mean, she was being as forward as you can. Over day after day, week after week, Finally, everybody happened to be gone that day, and it was just him and her alone in the house, and she literally grabbed him and wasn't going to let him go, was going to have her way with this young virgin, good-looking boy. And it tells us that he fought her off and just finally had to let go of his outer jacket and just run away from her. Wow. He was a man who was really fighting to stay pure, as we all do. The fifth thing is what lo lovely, pleasing, aesthetically pleasing, or in, in, in words pleasing, in sight pleasing. It's just, wow, this is so precious. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker. I, I'll, I'll sit there on YouTube and, and, and type in something like baby's first steps or baby's first words, and, uh, or I'll put in puppies. And I am just a sucker with this, you know? I just, oh, I just sit there, and, and it's like half an hour went by. Oh, man, how many baby's first steps can I watch? Just a few more, that's how many. Oh, just things that are, are lovely. 
that rejoice our spirit and rejoice God's spirit. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is in us, enjoying this with us. That's freedom, guys. And then the next thing is a good report. Not rumors or gossip for those inquiring minds, but things that inspire and courage. The verse of the day. I know people that do that. They, they, they have just on their hearts a verse of the day to encourage others throughout the day. Things that build up, not tear down. Not the critical things about each other, but the positive things about each other. And our job is not to be a person giving out negative information, but to be a person working to remember the positive things about people and situations. You, you know, I just want to, on this Father's Day, just give this insight that hopefully blesses you. But let's look at how God looks at fathers. King David. Now, were there a lot of bad things to talk about King David? There really were. Big, big bad things. Here's all that the Lord says in the New Testament about David. He was a man after God's own heart who did all his will. That was also true in the midst of a lot of sinning, a lot of foolishness. But it seems that God did exactly what he said. He took David's sins like all our sins and has buried them in the deepest sea, scattered them far as the east is to the west. Now on the day of rewards, David no doubt will lose some rewards for some of those things he did and gain rewards for the things he did right, like all of us. But that's another category. There's no condemnation, you see, from God towards the big sins that David sinned. In the New Testament, no condemnation at all. Only the positive things that David did. Now, we could go through Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith. And do you know how many negative things God says about those men of the Old Testament? Not one. Not one. He only remembers the positive things they did. He looks at their best moments... And that's what he documents. Anybody want a friend like that? <laughs> Anybody want a child like that? I'm blessed. My kids really are that way. They, when we do get together, not enough. They do, they do remember the things that were good. I remember years back, Chuck Smith was talking about a Thanksgiving he had with his family. And they started talking about a particular vacation. It was really only the one big family vacation when they were uh, in junior high, high school. And the one child started talking about, oh, we did that. Oh, and we did that. And then the girls started chiming, oh, we did that, we did that. And one of the sons was sitting there going, stop this. Do you remember how sweaty we were in that back seat? You're talking about that place we went. Do you remember standing outside in the hot sun because we had a flat tire and it took us an hour to fix it? You don't remember how cramped you were in that little hotel? You don't remember? And, and literally, they were like going, I don't remember any of that. I don't remember any of that. And he was so angry. But it was really partly personality, the way people view things. But a big part of it is how he's conditioned his heart. 
There's a root of bitterness in there. It's a little seed that's growing and growing and growing, and it starts to eat up all the good thoughts, all the positive things, all the delightful memories. And the ugly memories start growing and growing. To, they begin to be, get exaggerated. Do you, do you, do you realize? I mean, we, I think even a non-believer can understand how two different roads, one is, you know, I, I, there's people, when they're bitter, they feel really righteous. They really feel good. When they get, take off their bitterness, they feel naked. Like, oh my goodness, I don't have any, I don't know what, I gotta get some clothes on. Give me some of that bitterness back. Oh, oh okay, now I feel good. There's people that live that way. And then there's people that, that choose to, to think God's way. And I'm so glad that God only remembers the things we've done right. The things we've done wrong, he says he forgets them. God can do anything, right? I can't forget the past. I really wish I could. Often, Satan, I think it's the devil, maybe my own mind, reminds me of my biggest blunders, my biggest stupidities. You know, how many of you guys, be, be honest, okay, has saw somebody you haven't seen in a while, and you go, oh, when's the baby due? And they say, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> Come on, how many? Oh, you, you bunch of liars, okay. How many have done it more than once? Mm, yeah. You, you know, I've noticed all the big mouth people that raise their hand more than... <laughs> Yes, but those kind of things, I just, oh, a bunch of things like that just sort of crush me and I'm going to find my way out of it. Oh, of course, it really comes down to the, the words we speak, not the thoughts we think, right? If I'm thinking negative thoughts, I can take them captive and wrestle with them. But once it comes out the mouth, then it starts to do damage, right? I, I can tell you, I, I love to watch golf and and a while back, I, I, there was one little thing a golfer did wrong, and all of the commentators started bashing on this guy. And, and then they talked about how he cut off his parents and his, and his siblings. He doesn't talk to his family anymore. And then they, he started bringing these other things. And now when I see him playing golf, I'm like, oh, I'm so uninterested in that guy. I don't care what he does. And I, I know that the media is the media. They're just trying to create a story, trying to create a buzz. But yet it's so in my mind now that I, I, I just have to fight it going, no, I'm not going to hold those things against him. And I don't know whether they're true or not. And, and, and I want to believe him, but I'm not going to believe them. And I pray for him. Lord, if it is true that his family's cut off from his family, heal his heart. Bless his wife, bless his kids. Boy, I'll tell you what, tiny little things. Well, that's why we've got to take a while here and read James 3. You guys know this. We need to get washed in the water of the word here. For we all stumble in many things. Get an amen on that? If anyone does not stumble in word, though, he is a perfect man, a mature man, a complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. Just because that tongue's slippery doesn't mean it needs to slip out of your mouth. That's why you got teeth. Hold that slippery thing back in there. Keep it shut. In verse 3, indeed, 
We put bits into horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, whatever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member of both great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Boy, I can agree with that. Strong words, but I agree. Verse 7 For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea, it is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Boy, how true that is. When I go to SeaWorld, I am just amazed how they, tra- how they have tamed creatures that I, I, are just phenomenal. Back in the old days when people could swim with those whales, I, I, I just, there's this monster sea creature. And this guy's on its mouth, a killer whale. And he's throwing him up in the air and doing everything he wants him to do. I'm just like, this isn't happening. This is blowing my mind. Well, everything on earth can be tamed. But that little tongue. Nope, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh. Concluding on this is down in James 3, verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first, here we go, pure. Secondly, peaceable. Next, gentle. Next, I love this one. This is my favorite one. Willing to yield. Willing to say, put on the brakes. Slam on the brakes and turn right. A sharp right. Slam on the brakes and stop. It's so hard once we get going in that conversation, isn't it? And not only that, ooh, you didn't know about that? Ooh, let me get to that. Let me, boy, you know, it's so easy, isn't it? And all of a sudden, to be willing to yield to God's check in your spirit or shut the mouth. Yield, yield to what's righteous and pure. But these words also are full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Now Paul gives two more things. He gives six items, whatever, and now he gives two more items on any or anything. And again, it's the same thing, anything like this. But here's the idea in using the word any. He said it's going to be hard to find it. And you may only find one of these. Grab it. It's a treasure. So he he is saying to these people in this very wicked Roman culture, you may may not find even one of these next two items. But if you can just get one of them, grab it and make it your own treasure. What is this next thing? Things that are 
full of virtue or virtuous or excellent, literally exalted things, things that are exalted, those things. It's basically people, stories, things that produce heroic figures of a godly character, of a virtuousness about them. When I was a kid growing up, you know, we all learned about how George Washington, I believe it was George Washington, uh, it was a long time ago, um, he walked five miles to, because he realized he, he got a, a penny too much, went all the way back. Or, or, or was he the guy that cut down the cherry tree? One of the two. But I just remember those are the kinds of things we heard in, in history class. I do remember that. We did learn that kind of stuff. It was positive, and there was heroes. You know, my kids growing up, I, I just realized I can't raise these kids with a TV in the house. We had a TV, but we did, never had it connected. And, uh, and I just was outside with the kids as much as possible. And um, we just didn't. And they were ignorant. They, they never knew about Power Rangers and, and all of those kind of things. But we did read the Bible. We had a kid's Bible, and they just couldn't get enough of it. And so when my kids is like, hey, what kind of birthday do you want? I want a King David birthday. And they would, they would dress up all week long like King David and get their bow and arrows, and they're out killing giants. And, and that was their, they actually, you know, they would go to some kid's birthday party, and it would be, you know, Ninja Power Ranger or something, and they're just like, I have no idea. Why, why do you have that? What are you doing? I, it was just, I remembered thinking, okay, yeah, they're a little out of touch with what's the newest and the greatest, but it rejoiced my heart. And now to see how that has paid off uh, in their character, in their own lives, it's interesting that all three of my kids do not have a TV in their house. I never made that a rule. And, and actually, when they got older, we did uh, turn the TV on. We did have it on. But it's interesting that they've all three chosen not to do that. Um, and then the other thing is some, something that's praiseworthy. Can we find anything praiseworthy, even just one thing that we can give, it would give praise to God? Boy, what are the odds of you watching 30 minutes of uh, 10 o'clock news hearing anything praiseworthy? They try, don't they? After all of this horrible news and you're, you know, clicking the gun going, ah, they're like, and somebody saved a puppy from drowning today in Norway. They try to do it, but it, it, it's just hard to find even one. And then he says, meditate, dwell upon these things. So all eight of those items, let those be in your mind. It seems like a lot of items, right? I mean, it's not just one thing. Think about the Bible, that's it. And if you're not thinking about the Bible, go lock yourself in a closet in darkness and don't eat until you start thinking that one right thing about the Bible. God's not a legalist. He's saying, oh, there's all kinds of things in this world that are lovely, aren't there? There's just so much loveliness. But again, our mind is focused on the, you know, the, the evil thing. I remember in my teenage years, there's a proverb that, that said, when people are doing evil or violence, don't run towards it. And I remember 
in high school, they're like, hey, there's a fight. And literally, it's like a stampede of 500 students running around the corner to see this fight. And I would go, it was hard. I would go the opposite direction. I can remember that when I was 15, just thinking, nope, the Lord doesn't want me to go where these things are happening. Very simple. Of course, Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So as we think, as we meditate, as we dwell upon, interesting, this word meditate, it's not like the Eastern religion, you know, where you empty your mind. Eastern religion, empty your mind, oh, concentrate on your center eye, you know. The Bible actually says meditation is the mind at work. In the Old Testament, the word meditate is that same word of a cow chewing its cud. You know, a cow will eat some food, but it, it can't digest it, so it spits it back into its mouth and chews on it some more and continues to do that till it goes through the whole process of the cow's digestion service system. He keeps cutting, kicking it back up and, and chewing on it over and over again. Interesting, the same word in Hebrew also is that like of a cat purring. It's interesting. I know, I've noticed when I'm reading the Bible and meditating, I will do that. I'm like, oh, mm, oh, that's good. It's like going down in the soul. It's leaving the brain and traveling to 18 inches to my heart. And, and this is what he's saying here. The word in the Greek is actually logizomai. Logizomai is where we get our word logic from. So it's a calculated thought process. What did God's word say? I never set out to memorize verses, but as I meditate, I'm like, oh, that, that, what was that word? <gasps> I didn't, oh man, I gotta look that up. And then I'm starting to quote the next part of the verse and what is, I can't remember. I, and then I look it up. Oh, wow, I was, I'm surprised. I didn't think it was that word. And then to realize where it's else used in the, the New Testament, well, in the same way. When you use your brain to think about quality things, wholesome things, true things, pure things. Proverbs 12, 2 helps us with this endeavor of meditation. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice there, don't set still and be conformed. The word conformed is like how they would make a bust of a person. You know how you take warm clay and you press, they would press it upon their face and, and let it set there on their face for a while. And then they pull off the clay as it's hardened a bit. And then they use that as the cast to make the bust of a person. He's saying, don't stand still and let your heart and your mind form to the world and its thinking. And then you become a bust of the world's way of thinking. But be transformed. Where transformed is a, is a power and energy. You're fighting against it. It's not a passive. Conformed is passive. Transformed is active. Actively renew your mind. That's it. Renew your mind. This is why we need the word of God every day. 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, casting down arguments and every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. (laughs) Boy, it's just a magnitude of things today, isn't it? Evolution, God didn't create the world. You think God created the world? You're an idiot. Well, where did things come from? Oh, they just so always been. Sounds like God. In the beginning, neither was a who or a what, and it doesn't seem very smart to think there was a what making all of this intricate design. Every intricate design we have, even if it's just a little Indian arrowhead made out of rock, when you see something designed, it has a designer. But they tell you, man, don't let anybody know you believe in creation because that makes you a complete idiot. Well, again, on gender now, (laughs) they're telling us that we are completely evil and out of the loop if you don't support numerous types of gender. If we just say man, woman, period, end of story. No matter what those sexual desires you may have, they're, they're not from the Lord, even if you feel like you've had them all your life. I feel like I've had sexual desires all my life that are wrong. I don't try to make a gender out of it. I repent over it. Well, bring every thought, there it is, one by one, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we need to choose what we're going to meditate on. It matters. Paul describes a very practical way to bring every thought into captivity. Grab a hold of it and bring it through the, the, the filter of God's word. So let me ask you a couple of questions. How do your thoughts stack up against this list? What kinds of things do you think about? Well, here's a note. A lot of our worries and problems start in the mind. If you're having trouble finding something to think about, think about Jesus. He fits all of the eight qualifications above. Well, as we go to verse 9, Paul now leaves the realm of thinking, and now he goes into the realm of doing, practicing, In verse 9, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you, will be with you. So the things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me. So Paul is basically saying here, we're going into the realm of doing, and so you've seen me teach, you've heard me teach, But then you've observed me in the marketplace. You've observed me at the dinner table. You've observed me going through it for a walk. So I'm telling you that let's go out of the realm of the head. And now I'm asking you to correlate that on how myself and those with me lived. So I'm talking about what's been caught more than what's taught. What did you catch? He says, learned. This is indeed, uh, learn by practically experience it. I've taught you formally, Paul says. I've taught you informally. The most important thing is not what I've taught you, but what you are applying in practice, right? I mean, I think of that Mark Twain quote. He said, it's not what I don't know about the Bible, it bothers me. It's what I do know about the Bible. So again here, he's saying, if you have a hundred pieces of true thoughts in your brain and you do none of them, 
then it's foolishness. If I'm out here teaching you all of this, but then I'm doing this over here and you see that, it completely undermines what's in your brain. But what's in your brain and what you do, they need to coincide. And so all of those things you've received from me, not just in the classroom, but as you've been with me, all those things you've heard in the classroom, you've seen us considered outside how we've lived. And then he says, seen. And this is, again, much more than just looking at it, but you're looking at it with knowledge. You know it. These do. Exercise them. Practice them. Be busy with those things that we did. And now he goes from talking about the peace of God to actually God himself in your life, being the center of your life. Who's on the throne of your life? Paul is saying, is it a bunch of lies or is it truth? Is it faith or is it walking by your fears? I mean, what's the world say all the time now? The psychologist. Okay, okay, I, I hear your reasoning, but listen to your heart. Have you heard this? This is what psychologists are telling, people are telling you. But what's your heart say? Okay, what's it say in Jeremiah? The heart is desperately, deceitfully wicked. That's what my heart says. Above all things, who can know it? it it's so wicked, it passes the mind. Only God can wrap his mind around how wicked my heart is. Don't listen to your heart. I remember one of the Disney shows, it was Pocahontas. And I was at Disneyland, and there were some people in our church with us years ago. And, and, and she starts singing this song, Listen to the Voices in the Wind. And one of the ladies told her kids, never listen to the prince of the power of the air. Do not listen to any voices in the air. God's voice is out of his word. But what they're telling you, listen to your heart. Listen to your feelings. Listen how, no, guys. This is the absolute worst advice given on planet earth. Listen to the truth. And that truth comes from God. And if any other truth contradicts that, it's wrong. And then the God of peace now rules and reigns, is sitting upon the throne of my mind. He's sitting upon the throne of my heart. Well, finishing up, number one, let's think on good things. This is a battle. It's not something that happens once and it's over, right? It's literally almost moment by moment by moment through the day. We're battling all of these lies in this world, trying to attack our brain. Satan trying to get a stronghold in our brain with these thoughts. Tear them down. Bring them in obedience to Christ. Secondly, let's not allow bad things to enter our minds. It's just don't let it get in there to begin with. It's actually a twofold process, isn't it? First, not letting the bad stuff in. Secondly, filling the brain up with good things. So you can say, oh, my brain's completely empty, so I'm safe. No, no, your brain needs to be full. I was just reading on the internet. I had so many notes, I couldn't put them all in. But people who know, they say we have 70,000 thoughts a day. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Think of that. If I have 70,000 worldly, impure, unwholesome, 
words in my brain. And then I spent three minutes reading one Bible verse. (laughs) Three against 70,000. We need to fill up the word of God. This is why it says in Psalms 1, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates in it day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And I love this, whatever he does shall prosper. So it's two things. Don't let the lies in. Don't let the bad stuff in, but fill it up with good things. And so there's no room. And then, of course, Psalms 107, verse 20, I love this. He sent his word and he healed them. The word of God is healing, isn't it? It's not just information, it's inspiration. And it's not just information, it's not just inspiration, it's spiritual. And it helps us to pull down demonic strongholds that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And it fills us up with his spirit so we can meditate in it day and night. When we're awake, when we're asleep, when we're thinking about it, when we're not thinking about it. Third thing is live out what we know. Here's a quote. Knowledge without action is useless. But action without knowledge is dangerous. If God, and the last final thing, it is God's will that we would have a great peace deep in our souls. The, God, the peace of God and the God of peace would rule and reign in our hearts. Well, Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these truths that you have given us to set us free. Lord, we know this is so practical in so many ways that even people that don't read the Bible would come to these same thoughts and conclusions for the most part. But we, Lord, by the power of your spirit, we ask you to speak it deeper into our heart than we've ever considered before. That we would be a people that are full of your word, full of truth, full of love, full of kindness, full of character. And that we would find those beautiful, pleasing things in this world and those heroic things with great godly characters and and accomplish great things. And and those would be the thoughts that permeate our, our minds. Lord, we ask right now your kingdom to come, your will to be done. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer this morning together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen.